Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pachet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the Start Here link in the upper left-hand corner, two words that just say start here in the upper left-hand corner. It will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon if you choose to tap on that. It will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. It contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often because it tends to primarily improve the quality of people's lives as they apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials And if you have any of those to share with us, please do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1, and we can have a conversation. Let us know how we can be of service to you, and we will try to do that. Our purpose is to to be of service, our intention is to be of service, and every time you call in with a comment or a question or an answer or a testimonial, it helps us live into that intention with greater ease. So please let us know. What can we do? 
how can we support you in making your life better or learning more about these tools or answering questions you might have from the past almost 12 years. We're going to finish 12 years of doing this show at the end of this month. It began at the end of 2011, and for eight years it was one hour a day, five days a week, and um, for the past almost four years now, it's been two hours a day, five days a week. Two hours a day, five days a week, with the intention of being of service, specifically related to these tools. And I should mention that there's a a lineup of shows from years past that recently got published last week, and they're available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website, and it's... um, six shows that were uh, published last week when I was on vacation. And each of those shows contains demonstrations of this worksheet process being applied in actual life situations in my life um, to great benefit. And... um, it's there. It's absolutely free. Click the link. Listen to the file. Download it if you want. Uh, send it to other people to uh, enjoy for them their own benefit, and um, and then let us know what you think. The, the, the primary awareness that we have in this work is that, contrary to what our culture has taught us we are the ones who are creating our emotions in every moment. It's not the people around us with the things they do and don't think and don't do that we think are bad or wrong. It's not the flow of life, which is just a flow of energy extending from the moment of the physical creation outward. It's not somebody is bad or wrong because they they did something that we didn't like and that's what's causing our upset, we are the ones creating our emotional upset. The second thing as a primary observation in this work is that if I have a negative emotion come up, a tightness, a tension, a contraction, a, contraction, a constriction, a judgment, the best use of that awareness of that energy for me in my life is as an alarm system to to wake me up to the fact that I'm misusing my thoughts in the moment. That the upset I'm experiencing is self-created in the moment And it's not about the events happening in that moment outside of me. My mind is going to show me all of these pictures, sights, sounds, conclusions, memories, assessments. My mind is going to show me pictures and ideas 
specifically designed to get me to believe that what's happening in the moment is causing my upset and that I need to do something relative to the external world in order to change that emotional state to one that's more favorable. And it's never about the pictures my mind is showing me when I'm upset. There's a lesson from Course in Miracles that says, you're never upset for the reason you think you are. I'm never upset for the reason I think I am. And I believe those shows on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website or in the archives of this show from last week demonstrate that very clearly. In a number of situations, at least four or five different situations, where as an adult, 60 years and older, licensed clinical psychologist in the privacy of my own office or in my own daily life, in the relative safety and comfort of a climate-controlled office or car or whatever, something occurred that I used to generate upset. And my mind tried to tell me, it's all about this, Tim, what's happened right now, this email you just read, this thing this person did, this... And yet, as I applied the worksheets, I demonstrated to myself that the sick feeling in my stomach, the upset, the obsessive thoughts in my mind, the anger, the sense of betrayal or hurt, they all went away as I did worksheets, despite the fact that nothing changed in the outside events in my life. And so over and over again, we can observe, if we're willing to use these tools and apply them directly to our lives whenever we have an upset, over and over again, we demonstrate to ourselves it's not about the outside world. It's about the interpretations that we're choosing and placing on the outside world and events in our lives and how those are resonating with upset energies and traumas and judgments and pains and fears that we've experienced in the past and downloaded into our energy system and then hidden from ourselves. So they're hiding. They're in my mind. My mind is actively hiding from me the fact that I am the author of my emotions. And when they get resonated by an interpretation that I place on life events, I get to live with that energy again. Unfortunately, I live with it and I buy into the belief that my mind wants me to buy into that says something outside of me has caused this upset. And then I go off on a wild goose chase trying to either run away from or attack or bribe or seduce somebody in my life to change what they're doing so I don't have to feel my alarm system which is just there to try and wake me up to the fact that, hey, Tim, you're misusing your ego. You're misusing your conscious, logical mind, your rational thought. And if you put that filter on, if you, if you listen to the shows from last week through that filter and you look for these three things, I'm creating my own emotions in every moment. I am never upset about the things are in front of me and the pictures my mind is showing me. And it's always 
old stuff getting resonated. And if I'm willing to cancel my need to be right, step out of what my conscious logical mind is trying to tell me, I can get access to an understanding that contains a peace that passes all understanding. So that's an offering. Um, we, we will probably end up doing more worksheets this year on the radio show than in the past. We're going to step into some kind of a, of a format that at least promotes more worksheet process, whether it's me doing them or inviting other people to doing them or both. And yet, in the interest of um, bringing things to fruition or completion, we started last year, January 10th, reading The Way of Mastery. And we've read the last two lessons, 33 and 34, just once through, but slowly with some commentary. And what remains for us to read is the 35th and the last lesson. And I talked about a little bit yesterday that this lesson has a title that prompts me to think, you know, I'm not sure any of us are really ready for this, but we can read about it anyway. But first we'll take a comment from area code 541. Is this Solinda? Yes, it is. And how are you this fine morning? I had to turn my volume up. Is this Solinda? Yes, it is. How are you this fine well, morning? I am doing well. How can we support you today? Well, I wanted to uh, comment yesterday along with Magda and Susan, but I had a time-sensitive document that I had to finish and send off, so I had to leave, especially when I found out that multitasking doesn't work in a situation like that. So um, I wanted to share with you that I think the idea is great to have at least one workshop worksheet done in a um, in a session if possible and I would like I'm glad that we're going to finish the way of mastery um, I really liked you repeating the lessons but I can understand that we need to get on with the new year and our new perception about um, perspective on, on how we want to live our lives so I just wanted to share that with you that I'm very happy to do the worksheets and um, I have enjoyed every <clears throat> every comment that you have made and have grown from that and my reflections on everything that everyone else has made as well um, in their voyage uh, of self-discovery and so I just wanted to thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome and most deserving. And um, it, it isn't uh, that I won't revisit this or reread these lessons. It's just that the way it's been striking me these past two lessons, 34, 33, maybe even 32, is that the, the benefit from these lessons is really deeply dependent upon people putting it into practice. And so we can read about it and reread about it, but, you know, as I, as I was reading, I would 
say, please pay attention to what this might stir up in you because it's telling you that you're God, etc., and you know how horrible is it going to be in your religion if you blasphemy, you blaspheme like that, and and for each of us, we're going to have to deal with those things that we have loaded in our energy system, our mind, our belief system. And that's far more what's going to happen in these last, in the way of knowing, than any kind of a, an intellectual understanding, right? It's, I'm, I'm going to have to be willing to do whatever tools I, I find most useful for me to dismantle my upset, whether it's reality management worksheets or EFT tapping or finding a therapist or and that that's where the real value is going to come from this way of knowing. That it isn't as much as the first, the way of the heart and the way of transformation. They had a lot of statements in there that I think benefit by restating and bringing in Guy Finley's perspective on it and Michael Rice's perspective and Dale Allen Hoffman's. But these last few lessons... I don't think it's that much about anybody else's perspective. I think it's about reading these and trying to get yourself to accept the truth of these statements and watch everything inside of you that wants to jump up and say, that can't be right, I, I can't be God, etc. That's blasphemy, that goes against everything I've ever been taught as a person or in my religion. or in... And just do the work to dismantle those tensions, judgments, constrictions, contractions, as though they are your alarm system, trying to let you know, hey, there's a little infection that needs to be weeded out over here. Hey, you know, there's a little blemish on the wood that needs to be sanded out over there. Because if I, doesn't matter how thoroughly logically I create a thought structure, if it's based on a false premise, it's worthless. And these last few lessons are trying to get us to understand everything we've been taught in our family and our culture is based on a false premise. And so the only way you're going to get to see that, feel it, experience it, and have it be a value in your life is for you to question it for yourself. Hope that makes sense. Yes, it definitely does. And I would agree with you. I also think that um, the things that come up in my mind are not just uh, my reactivity to certain expressions that something is so or because I don't think it's so. But also the same thing in reverse is when I say something really resonates with me and I can jump from that in a heartbeat from that to well oh, I was right all along <laughs> and so so, so I, excuse me but say that again for, for listen well, so Linda for me your volume is fading out from time to time so say that again you can jump from oh that really resonates me jump to what to oh i was i've been right all along can you hear me now 
Yeah, I got it. it. It's fading, and I have the volume on my phone up as high as it will go, but I got it. You can jump from, oh, I've been right all along, or jump to the thought, I've been right all along. Right. And, and that's, that's a really good comment because it brings us back to what this work calls us to, which is divine ignorance, which which is the kind of thing that you'll find if you go into some deep Buddhist teachings. It's the understanding that we don't really know anything. We're making this stuff up. We're we're giving our lives whatever meaning they have by what we invest our mind energy in. And that that's what they start talking about right away in Lesson 35. So if it's all right with you, I'll just start reading that. Perfect. Thank you so right. much. I just wanted to all make right. sure I commented. Thank you. Blessings. I will mute you so you can listen. Area code 770, you're in the air. Hi, Dr. Tim. It's Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. How can we support you today? Just want to mention a few uh, things. I appreciated last week the work you did getting that shows together for us all. It was very helpful. And I also would like to ask, I think you were questioning if we would want to have more worksheets, and I would definitely appreciate that. The worksheet is an area I have been struggling with for several reasons, uh, but I believe that the more I am used to this, getting exposed to this work, that I'm certainly not alone. And I think it would be very, just want to let you know, be very helpful. And, uh, you know, I also want to thank you for all the work you do. And along with uh, Michael and Jeannie, it's just just marvelous and, and very helpful to folks like me. All right. I'm glad to hear it. Anything else you want to chime in before we start reading Lesson 35? No, no, just last last thought is as, as much as I want to uh, be exposed to more worksheet material, I also really appreciate how you do the, uh, the readings, the different books, and mentioning different people that I have looked up and been exposed to now, like uh, Guy Finley and his, in his work, and you have mentioned many others, and just uh, appreciate all of that work also, Dr. Tim. Well, you're welcome and deserving. I will mute you so you can listen in, and we'll come back to our Lesson 35 in the Way of Mastery titled, Living as a Sovereign Master. The text reads, Beloved and Holy Friends. Again, it's reminding us we are all equals. I come forth to abide with you because I love you, because I see your true nature as love. If you want to use uh, Michael Rice's regulatory speech. Always and forever we are joined in the place of love, capital L, love. Always and forever we are joined in the place of, capital R, Reality, the actuality of our lives is that all minds are joined. Always and forever, I am but your brother and your friend. 
you have many brothers and sisters in what you call the disembodied state. These who know you and who extend love to you, who do not come closer to you than you are willing to allow. You have the choice. And that allowance is always the result of your decision to claim your worthiness to have communication that can enlighten you. You are indeed entirely sovereign at all times. You and you alone create the thoughts, the beliefs, and the perceptions that you wish to experience. These then crystallize into the forms of your experience, even into the physical dimension. Remember then, in this conclusion of the way of knowing, that there is never a time that you see anything that exists outside of you, your true nature, your essence, you. Everything you see originates within you, since the only thing you can see is the way in which you choose to drape the mysterious energy of creation. I was just having this conversation with a patient just this morning right before the show. And he was talking about, I had, I, I've, I've taken to talking about the kaleidoscopic wheel of interpretation. Right? In any moment, at any time, I can spin the wheel. And I can choose an interpretation that generates hostility or fear or sadness or judgment or contraction or grief or rage, etc. At, at any moment for anything. So we were having that conversation, and he said, oh, I got the perfect example. He said, his best friend in the world is sitting in his house, and the man is retired, and he's, you know, looking at my patient and saying, oh, my gosh, you've got the perfect life. And my patient was saying to him, oh, my gosh, you've got the perfect life. You're at this young age, and you've retired, and, and now you've got plenty of money, and and the, his friend was saying to him, oh, my God, that's, that's all wrong. You got it all wrong. I've got this ball and chain. I've got all these responsibilities, and you got the freedom to do whatever you want. And, and it's, they're both looking at the same data points. It's not like one is looking and saying, wait a minute, you know, you're not a human being. You're an aardvark. It's not like they're looking at each other and saying, well, wait a minute, you're dirt broken living on the street, and, and you've got $40 million. They're looking at the same data points. And each of them has spun the wheel of interpretation to make the other person's life seem better to them. We do this all the time, and that's the only thing that, that creates our experience of life. So... Remember then, in this conclusion of the way of knowing, that there is never a time that anything exists outside of you. Everything you see originates within you, since the only thing you can see is the way in which you choose to cloak or drape the mysterious energy of creation. How do you choose to interpret the events that unfold in your life? The text goes on and says, every neutral event, every moment of arising, 
is merely energy given to you on a silver platter, given to you freely, that you as consciousness might choose to have the opportunity to create experience by cloaking that energy that has been presented to you with the perceptions and beliefs that you have chosen for yourself. You have heard me say unto you many times that only love, capital L, love, is real. You've heard me say unto you many times that it is not necessary to seek for love, but it is necessary to seek for what is false. There's a lesson nine in this book that's, that's titled, All Events Are Neutral. And as fate would have it, we were reviewing the Darshans and we were in the Tuesday night support group. At that point in time, we were still meeting in person and the room was full of people. And we happened to be meeting just when, as we were working through the way of mastery in the Darshans, lesson nine was up for beginning and it just happened to be on 9-11 a number of years after the attacks at the Twin Towers in, in New York with you know all the devastation and all the upset and all of the wars that began from that and we began this lesson all events are neutral boy did that present a, a series of options for us to choose some people just hearing that phrase could generate upset. Others generated laughter. Boy, that's ironic. That's humorous. The last two paragraphs I read say, every neutral event, every moment of arising tension of life, of love, of the flow of creative energy, Every neutral event, every event is neutral, every moment of arising is merely energy which has been given to you on a silver platter and it's given to you freely that you as consciousness might choose to have the opportunity to create experience. How do you do that? Because you cloak that energy in, that has been presented to you with the perceptions and the beliefs that you have chosen for yourself. And for many of us, that means the perceptions and beliefs that we've been spoon-fed and brainwashed into and conditioned into in our families and our culture. The last paragraph there reads, you've heard me say unto you many times that only capital L love is real. You've heard me say unto you many times that it is not necessary to seek for love, but it is necessary to seek for what is false. The next section is titled, Creating as a Master. And the text reads, In all the previous lessons, you've been given many, many tools and much deep and profound understanding to assist you in the simple decision of complete responsibility for every moment of your experience. 
that is worth reading again, in my humble opinion. In all the previous lessons, you've been given many, many tools and much deep and profound understanding. And the sole purpose of it is to assist you in the simple decision of complete responsibility for every moment of your experience. For in the end, I can give you only this. I cannot relieve you of what you may perceive yet to be the burden of the fact that you are constantly creating, that you are indeed a creator. So here's the entity that's channeling this work, whether you want to perceive it as Yeshua, the consciousness, the collective consciousness of you know, hundreds of thousands of other minds, whether you want to conceive of it as God or Holy Spirit. And it's saying, I cannot relieve you of what you might perceive as the burden. What's the burden? The burden is the fact that you are constantly creating. I can't change the fact that each and every person hearing this is creating their experience of life in each moment. So whether you're hearing it from God, you're hearing it from Yeshua, you're hearing it from the Holy Spirit, you're hearing it from your ascended masters, you're hearing it from Dr. Michael Rice, whoever you think you're hearing it from, there is this message is coming through. The one thing they can't change is that you are constantly creating your experience of life. You perceive it as a burden and they wish they could relieve you of that, but they can't. It's like gravity. There's going to be gravity on the planet. We have to deal with it. The text goes on and says, Likewise, I would not wish to unburden you from the incredible, shimmering awareness and responsibility, the freedom, the fun of knowing that as a sovereign master of your domain... You are free to create whatever your heart most truly desires. So you conceive of this as a burden, and because you conceive of it as a burden, people that care about you, souls, entities that care about you, want you to know they, they wish they could help you get rid of the burden. At the same time, they wouldn't want to change this because this thing that you perceive as a burden, the fact that you are constantly creating your experience of life in each moment, is also the source of an incredible shimmering awareness and responsibility, the total freedom, the fun of knowing that as a sovereign master of your own domain, which is your own mind energy, you are free to create whatever your heart most truly desires. The text continues, the secret then, as I have shared with you many times, is to practice seeking first the kingdom. Never let a day go by in which you fail to ponder the great mystery of the Creator's presence. Never let a morning go by that you fail to begin your day accepting, except in this way, quote, surrender all thought of what you know and have believed. Now, that's going to challenge some Western minds. We were just talking about this. This book brings up the idea of 
divine ignorance. We don't know what anything is or is for. There are exercises in this book to help us practice our awareness of this truth, capital T, truth. We don't know what anything is or is for. And every time we think we know and we've got any kind of tightness or tension or upset of any kind, that's our, our alarm system to indicate we're misusing our thought and we really don't know anything. So again, the quote is, never let a morning go by without doing this. Quote, I'm going to surrender all thought of what I know and have believed. I'm going to rest in gratitude to the one, capital O-N-E, one, that has birthed me. I'm going to ask only to be revealed for me greater truth, greater wisdom, greater capacity to know and extend perfect love, capital L, love, perfect trust, and perfect peace. Close quotes. That's how I should start every day if I want to move into the way of knowing. If I want to live from the way of knowing, I begin paradoxically by understanding at that conscious, logical, egoic level, I don't know anything. And the knowing, the knowledge they're talking about here, they're they're redefining knowing. It's not the ability to do a recitation of facts and figures, the knowing that they're talking about here is ushering ourselves into an ability to experience the moment without overlaying thought and judgment and interpretation and perception to just be in the moment and let the truth of the moment act on us and have all of our actions flow from the recognition that we are one mind. We are part of the flow of creation. The text goes on and says, in the way of knowing, in the way of knowing, we come to the great culmination that you are indeed as I am, that you are like everyone that in each moment of your soul's journey you have literally created the worlds of your experience, just as I did when I walked upon your plane, just as I continue to do now. How then has it occurred that this form of communication could take place? It is not so much that I cleverly set up a labyrinth of doorways to draw you to this teaching so that I could connect with you, but rather I rested in my desire to extend the atonement. By creating that desire, I began to create a vibrational field emanating from my mind out through creation. That vibration alone is not enough. But where it resonated with the deepest desire of my brother to know the Christ mind, to find a way to serve, to indeed heal and awaken from any last traces of illusion, wherever that happened, a connection was formed. It is like two wires dancing about. Dance caused by the movement of energy through them until their energy touches, joining the tips of their wires together. 
this process has occurred between my mind, capital M mind, and yours. Or you would not be reading this book, hearing this book, listening to this Internet show. You would not have even heard of Shanti Cristo. And you would not have heard of me, Yeshua. Recognize then your own power. For you have attracted this work. You have attracted me. You have attracted life unto yourself. As I have attracted you to me. In each moment of all our relationships, whether they be with people, places, or things. Please, learn to pause long enough, which only means to take a few seconds and say within yourself, quote, I am in the moment of this relationship because I have called this to myself, close quotes. And then, quote, there is then something within me that vibrates or resonates perfectly with this, quote, other, close quotes, end of quote. True, whether that be a person, a place, or a thing. True change, then, can occur not when you recognize that you do not like the relationship you are in of person, place, or thing, and therefore take steps to get yourself out of it, but true change happens, rather, when you recognize that the relationship and what is occurring within it must be the result of something within your own consciousness. Therefore, what is unlikable in that moment of relationship is merely the flowering of a seed, potential, or vibration that you've been holding in the depth of your own being. It is then a simple thing to seek first the kingdom, to rest in the simple knowingness and to gently inquire of the Holy Spirit to teach you, to reveal to you what you've held as a true belief that is indeed false. As you then see why you have been holding that belief and how it has manifested the world of your experience, you are then quite free to choose anew. Now, it comes to me to say, if you listen back to last week's series of shows, you will see numerous examples of where I did that. I recognized that I was upset. I recognized I create my own upset. I recognize it's never about what's going on in the moment. And I recognize that the very best use of that upset is for me to use it as an alarm system to tell me my thoughts are off the mark. So cancel everything I think I want. What my mind is showing me is thoughts and pictures and emotions and interpretations of the world dynamic in front of me and then ask to be shown something else. Once I see, oh, this is related to an old trauma. Oh, I have made this mean I'm unlovable. Oh, I have made this mean that person doesn't respect me. Oh, I have made this mean the world should conform to what I want and everything that isn't what I want is bad. And that's kind of silly. When I wake up to those awarenesses, I can choose again. I can choose anew. I can choose again. 
So what does it mean to choose first the kingdom? It means to enter each moment understanding that I don't know what anything is or is for and asking to be taught by life, by love, by Holy Spirit, by whatever outside outside my conscious logical mind entity I want to invoke. And then when I see something different, I can do something different. The text goes on and reads, It is just at this point where so often the mind becomes fearful and says, but at least I know this. I do not know what is unknown, close quotes. But I say unto you, there is nothing unknown. There is nothing unknown to you, for there is nothing until you decide to choose for it. This is why desire is the first key to the kingdom. Now, if that doesn't make your conscious logical mind spin, you're not awake. So this is a depth, this is what Guy Finley would call at levels of scale. This is talking about not just the conscious logical mind, but understanding that my conscious logical mind and everything I've been taught by my family and my culture tells me my thoughts are my master. And they are the primary tool for getting around this world and navigating in the world. And it's all that's important. And it's taught me experience life coming at me as though I'm separate from it and it's separate from me. To experience people coming at me as though they're separate from me and I'm separate from them. This work says the freedom can only come to the mind that truly experiences and assumes complete responsibility for the creation of its existence. And your mind wants to say, well, I can know that I do not know what is unknown. And that's just your conscious logical mind or your ego trying to grab control. But the system is bigger than we can comprehend. The flow of life is bigger than we can comprehend. Our own very existence is bigger than we can comprehend. It goes beyond words each heartbeat. And the text goes on and says, freedom can only come to the mind that truly assumes complete responsibility for the creation of its experience. So that in any moment it recognizes that the thoughts, the perceptions, and the feelings coursing through the emotional body are arising within the sovereign domain of that soul's being. They are uncaused, except again for the seed thoughts and perceptions of that mind or that soul that has chosen to value it for itself. So, this is a beginning understanding if I then recognize, okay, this is happening in my experience. If I'm experiencing anger or fear or sadness or joy or bliss, it's a self-created process. And then if I don't like the emotion I'm experiencing, I can pick up a set of tools like the Reality Management Worksheet and get a little bit more specific than the flow of this work. This work is saying you don't even need that. You just can start experiencing that everything you experience 
you can you can begin understanding that everything you experience is your own creation well for most of us we've been so heavily conditioned and we've got so many words and beliefs and phrases and that it's far more beneficial to have something like the reality management worksheet to step into and step through to actively dismantle what my mind is going to be doing so well because I've taught it so well, because I've been such a good student, because I've been so thoroughly conditioned by my family and my culture to think about it and decide what's right and take action on what's right. And that's why the Reality Management Worksheet is so useful because it can take that conscious, logical part of my mind and get it busy with mapping out all of its truths and all of its associations and then cancel all of it and ask to be guided by something else. The text goes on and says, Life then offers you your way out. When things don't seem to be working and your peace is missing, this is actually a sign to you that there must be some belief or perception that you are clinging to which does not work. You are free then to seek out, to inquire, and then to change it. I have often recommended to you that you cannot transcend what you first fail to embrace. Therefore, look well upon your creations and bless them. If it is the fact that your car just broke down along the freeway and the wheels have fallen off and the motor stopped and the doors have crumbled to dust, just bless it. For that context of experience will take you into your tomorrows. There is no moment then, and it repeats it in italics, there is no moment in which you have failed. As a sovereign master indeed, the literal embodiment of the mind of the creator, you have used your freedom to create experience. We suggest that you embrace it. We suggest that you rest in gratitude for it. We suggest that you own it as completely yours. And then simply ask, do I wish to continue it? Or would I like to start a new adventure? You will be creating new adventures eternally. For there is no moment that creation ends. Mind or soul is the vortex, the vehicle through which creation extends itself from the field of infinite possibility into the realization of manifold particularities. Beloved friends, you are indeed as I am. I am rather enjoying my domain. I am unlimited by space and time. I have no longer any need whatsoever for the unique forms of experience that can come through the crystallization of what you call the body, what some of you still mistakenly call yourself. You then are very much at play in the kingdom, like a child in a sandbox. And each event that arises for you need not be judged. I have shared with you many times that it is the egoic mind that compares and contrasts. Therefore, never 
compare or contrast your experience with another person's. Yours is unique. And though the world would say, perhaps, that your experience is not as valuable because you're only worth $20,000 and somebody else is worth $400 million, therefore they have manifested more powerfully, this is simply not true. For manifestation is simply the expression that reveals where the mind has been focusing. The real power is the very mystery that anything can be manifested at all. And you are free to constantly choose anew. Cultivate then a very childlike attitude toward all of your experience. Learn to ponder it, to wonder about it, to look upon it like a father does to a child, like your father, your creator does to you. Quote, Behold, I have created all things, and it is good. Close quotes. In your Bible story, the creation story that is told there, it is said that the creator said something like that, and for God looked upon all that she had created and said, quote, Behold, it is very good. Close quotes. You are the father of your creations. You are the father of your thoughts, your attitudes, and your choices. Look upon all these things and say, quote, Behold, it is very good. Close quotes. For goodness begets goodness. Judgment begets judgment. For nothing can produce except that which is like itself. An acorn cannot produce a fish. A man and a woman cannot produce an acorn. The thoughts you hold about yourself will reproduce themselves. When you look upon all things as good, goodness will be begotten from that decision. Each time, then, that you have chosen to hold a negative thought about yourself or about anyone, you have only ensured the kind of inconsistency in your mind that interrupts the power of your ability to create more and more as a living, embodied master. This can only be because you've held deep within the mind some belief that says, quote, no matter what I do, it won't work out, close quotes. There is some conflicted belief. A belief in goodness and a belief in evil create a conflict that must entrap the soul. So often when this comes up, we say, Aren't they saying don't judge anything and then they say judge everything is good? And that's, I hope you're getting the flavor of it. it. It doesn't mean good as in good versus bad. It just means acceptable because that's what's arisen. It's arisen because I've created it. I, it's arisen as my experience because of the way I'm interpreting it and pouring my mind energy into it. And that's okay because if I don't like it, I can change it in the next moment. It isn't about don't get caught in, in the logical trap that says, wait a minute, they told us not to judge, and then they told us to judge everything is good. It's more like they're saying, don't judge, just accept and allow, because acceptance and allowance are the keys to the kingdom. 
desire, intention, allowance, surrender, and then humility. Over and over again, understanding. So, that's our show for today. We will finish at some point in the near future reading Lesson 35, and we will be moving into the new year with the commitment to do more worksheets. I don't know whether that will turn out to be one per show or three per week, or but it will not be an exclusive thing where all we do is worksheets. There, there will also be conversation and review of what we've learned in the way of mastery and and the Course in Miracles, etc. And uh, thank you all for being here and um, riding the bus for a while. I look forward to uh, seeing how this next year unfolds with a commitment to do more worksheets on the show and your participation and comments, as always, are welcome. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can call us directly at 563-999-3581 or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. W-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. I had trouble getting into the chat room again today, but it's finally back up. Well, it came up instantly for me, and then when you got in, it kicked me out. So apparently we aren't going to be able to share the chat room from now on, but... It's all good. Have a wonderful show, and um, thank you. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks. Appreciate you. So, welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio, and today is Tuesday, January the third, twenty twenty-three, and our call-in number is five six three nine 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 three five eight one, and press one, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And while we're waiting on Michael to dial in, I'll just uh, invite you to go to the website, whyagain, W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. I spent a big part of yesterday and today cleaning up some broken links, and there's still a few to go. If you run across one, please drop me a line and let me know. My email is Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org. And let me know that you found one. I was um, searching. I was actually getting ready to add. Michael did a couple more interviews, and I was getting ready to add them to our media page that says watch and listen radio TV interviews for free. And I found a whole bunch of links that weren't working. And some people, you know, I had links that actually went to their website, and now their website's no longer working. So that link is no longer good. So I've been trying to go out and grab interviews and radio shows and things like that and download them to my computer so I can upload them to our website or somewhere so that we can have them even if the other site goes out of space. You know, that's what happened with Michael refers to the document by the CIA and they kept moving it, and every time they would move it, then, of course, the link on their page would break, 
So I finally just downloaded it to our website so that we would have it. And that's happened apparently on a couple of different sites. People have either changed the name of their website or they've um, quit their website and no longer doing that or whatever, and then the videos just kind of disappear. So if you run across one of those, please let me know. The system is supposed to let me know when there is a link that's no longer working, but it misses them every now and then, I guess. So I'm going to, at this time, welcome Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Once again, Happy New Year. We are rocking on in. January is underway, and we're delighted that you're here to be part of the conversation. Enjoyed our conversation yesterday. Yesterday. Yesterday, yes. Time is just moving so quickly. It's just amazing. And uh, ready ready to move forward on the next level with putting together these uh, these tools, this understanding of these first century Aramaic tools and how to put them to work in your life. So we're delighted that you're here to be part of the conversation. And Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Um, a hand just went up. I believe it's Miss Susan 610. Awesome. You're on the air. Let's go for it. Hi, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you. We are. It's underway. Good. 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 I have a question and a comment. Um, the question is, uh, you know, when we do our work, well, I should just tell you what's going on. I'm okay today, but I've had a couple of hard days, anxiety, tremendous fatigue, and a, and a rash on my body, and it's not shingles. It's sort of my upper body, back and front. I showed it to my daughter-in-law, who's a doctor, and he said, gosh, I don't know what those are. <laughs> and they're very itchy, and I looked up Louise Hay, and I forget all of what she said, but something about anger and good grief. And I'm thinking, okay. Uh, so I've been doing some worksheets, and they seem to have been going kind of nowhere except that the effect is somehow just paying attention is like a prayer or it's, it helps anyway. And that's sort of a testimonial. It's something I'm discovering is I don't have to know what I'm doing in the worksheet. And it can be pretty far away from probably the mark, the place where it should go. But after two or three yesterday morning, uh, a lot lifted. The itch didn't lift, though. I wondered if you as a nutritionist uh, person, Michael, might have a comment on that or an idea. <clears throat> well, the first place I would go with that kind of a thing going on, and, and how, how much of your structure is it covering? From the waist up, back and front, back of the neck, down the back, chest, uh, shoulders, even on my arms. And it's like last night I <clears throat> I took a brush and I was brushing my skin, which I've read is good for circulation and stuff, and I don't do it nearly enough. But everywhere I touched, I wanted to really scratch, even though there were no marks or anything, no sign of bug bites. But it's like my whole body is 
itching. So I'm itchy to do something, but I don't know what it is. Mm. Mm. Right. Well, the first thing I do with that sort of a set of symptoms is I would look into and begin a colon cleanse. Now, the skin is the largest illuminative organ in the body. And mm-hmm. at least according to some theories in naturopathic medicine, the skin is has a direct relationship with different parts of the colon. And if a part of the colon is uh, blocked, is not handling its eliminative functions properly, then the tendency will to create, be to create some kind of a skin challenge because mm. the skin will take over from the colon. So with that kind of a generalized thing, I'd start a colon cleanse. You know, you can go on Amazon and there are some you know, simple, you know, powders you can take and mix or capsules, that sort of thing. There are a number of them. And um, Gina, do you remember the, the one we used last time we did a cleanse? I'm looking it up right now. So that would be my starting point, and then of course, even though, just even overall, though my functions seem to be fine, I mean, I haven't yes. noticed any problem with digestion or anything. Right. No, that would okay. just be a general. You know, it, there there are reflexes to every part of the colon from the skin, at least according to mm-hmm. the theory that some hold, and you know that would be. Uh, you know, without any other, nothing else specific comes to mind, so that would be a shot in the dark to go, okay, so I'm going to do a, a general colon cleanse and see if that changes what's happening. You know what's really weird, Michael, is my younger sister complained about this about a year ago, and it's never gone away with her. We have the same thing, and I called her and I said, did you ever, she doesn't mention it anymore. She said, no, I still have it. I've gotten used to it. I scratch all the time. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So I said, if I find something, and she told me all about these oatmeal soaps and this and that, and, um, you know, I'm happy to try those things. But I imagine, just as you say, it's probably something, it, you know, Christmas came and went, and I went off. I had ice cream every day for about five days and ate some chocolates and some cookies I was bad, and I thought that's what it was. But <laughs> You're being punished <laughs> for your sins. I know. <laughs> and uh, I also, a friend came over, and I don't usually drink anything, but she loves a glass of wine, so I got a bottle of wine, and I had wine every day with her for three days. And then my son turned 50, and we had wine again. And I thought, red wine, it's known to produce, you know, hives or or inspire uh, allergies to flare up. So I thought, okay, it was that. But it's been, I've been good uh, starting right after Christmas, and it's still going on. So I like this idea of a cleanse. I have a standard enema here, but that's not what you're talking about really, right? No, an enema won't touch, if, if especially with that um, larger body um, response, an animal mm-hmm. touch the, the whole colon, the parts of the colon that could be involved. If that's where the challenge lies, then okay. uh, a general colon cleanse. You know, I, I used to, there's a book out there, you might find it interesting to read if you're looking for something to read. You've probably heard me talk about it before on the show. It's called Tissue Cleansing Through Bowel Management by a, a physician named Bernard oh, Jensen. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he actually yeah, lays out several different cleanses from a really simple, easy one to a, a deep level one that mm-hmm. uh, actually is just about a full-time job for a week. Uh, so, oh, boy. You know, <laughs> I used to guide people images. through that process, and it's it's a pretty intense cleansing process. Really? I mean, literally, I have seen uh, come out of people's colons pieces of... Uh, stringy substance like you would see, you know, a, a shred of a black rubber tire on the side of a road, of the road, you know, from a car oh, okay. with pieces like that. And uh, at the, uh, the the record, as far as I understand, is people clearing out pieces of that sort of material from the colons that are eight, nine, and ten feet long. Oh, my God. It's like popping pimples or knuckle cracking. Very satisfying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Michael, I just sent I you a picture. I'm not sure if that's the one you're talking about. We did a Yerba Prima. Um, that's it, Yerba Prima, yeah. It had like a prebiotic and a probiotic, and it's just basically taking mm-hmm. capsules for so many days, so it was really easy, and you can get it on Vitacost probably um, – yeah, you know, Swanson's or several places, but I'll oh, put a good. link in the in the chat room Thank too. Thank you so much, All Purpose Genie, doing it again, and congratulations on fussing with that website. I know what it's like. I have a website, <laughs> nothing as big as yours, but finding links that don't work, it's very frustrating. You put it in there and they can't get it, and they don't tell you. Oh, yeah. I know. And then it it became like a rabbit trail because I would click one link and it'd be like, okay, I need to see if I can find that. And so I'd do a Google search to see if I could find it on somebody else's website. And and then I'd end up finding something else. And it was just like one thing after another. Wow. Well, it's amazing that you know how to do all that. It's terrific. When you went on eHarmony, you had no idea. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> and Michael didn't either. <laughs> what he was getting in this nice deal. All right. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, um, why don't you go ahead with your stuff and everything? You probably have a talk planned and everything and so on. Well, we will go for it. And Jeannie, I didn't get a link from you. I just got a picture. Right, right. I went downstairs and took a picture of the bottle on the shelf. So I'll pull the link and put it in the notes for today. But I didn't know if that was the one you were talking about. Well, yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a simple, easy-to-do one and and, and pretty effective. The question about that, I can picture me running to the bathroom in the middle of a Pilates class or something. I mean, I do have to no, be sort of... It doesn't do that. <laughs> it doesn't do that? Okay. Sorry, folks. And it, will tend actually... to pick up. it will tend to accelerate elimination, but it's not a... It's not a... Uh, it it okay. doesn't put you into an it. emergency condition. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. That's and then after know. I finished it, I think it lasted like two weeks, but it's a, it was a matter of like taking two capsules in the morning, two capsules in the evening or something like that. I mean, it wasn't any big deal. And when I finished it, then I went and had a colonic. 
just to oh. totally clean everything out. Wow. That's very impressive. Maybe even brave. Courageous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you read um, that book, um, Dr. Jensen's book, he has pictures of what comes out of people's colons. And, I mean, they, he, he talks about the, the record of uh, anyone in surgery that's ever been found with a uh, the kind of problem that you know he's talking about cleaning up through the through the different cleanses, but uh, the the record is a colon that weighed 65 pounds and was 11 inches in diameter, if you can imagine. And That's people the person must have been in tough shape. Yeah, if you eat the sad diet, standard American diet. In fact, back in the days when I used to work in that arena a lot, uh, you mentioned one of the, the things that you, uh, you you sinned with. Yeah. <laughs> and that's ice cream, and we used to call that cow pus. Because oh, each, I know. Because each state and... has each state has its own regulation on how much cow pus is allowed in a you know pint of ice cream, that sort of thing. <laughs> You know, Michael, when I eat ice cream, I think of that. Thank you very much. But oh, I don't welcome. eat ice cream very often. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Cool. Well, anything else on your mind for today? Well, sure, you know, but see if Jeannie's got somebody in the line there, in the lineup. Nothing urgent. Just sort of reports. Well, I'm sure she'd be back with us if there were, so go for it. Go for it. Oh, okay. Report on Luke. He made it through New Year's. He spent time with his mother. All right. And he said to his mother as if this thought was brand new to him, and I know I've said it to him before because you have said it to me, and that people who imbibe, you know, use drugs or alcohol, to the point of blackout the way he was doing every day the it's because of trauma or that's one possibility and he right. finally acknowledged that he much as he adored his father that he had had a hard time and he's beginning to talk about that and he's also I told him your phrase it's not Dr. Feelgood because he's feeling a lot of sadness, depression, anxiety. I said, Lukey, you're right. finally letting yourself feel what you were washing before. So stay with it. It'll pass, and it's wonderful. And he's going back to school, to a new school, I guess I told you, a new, new apartment. Tim and, Tim and I are helping with that. And he's excited about having his own place. He's 24 years old, so it's... This addiction thing has slowed him down by two or three years, but right. he has right. time. Um, so anyway, um, that's one report. And then I can report on our Michael. Things are going very well with him. He's doing the sweetest things. Um, we've decided, you know, as per that wonderful, I think I told you that wonderful actor in England who said Ian McClellan, he talked about when he returned to 
London and got in a taxi. The taxi man said, where to, love? And he was so touched, right. he cried. Michael and I say, hello, love, when we see each other. And Michael, you know, you say you don't love anybody, and I'm not going to argue with you, but it's like that space of love. I, it puts mm-hmm. us in, in the space. It just puts us in the space. And he's, when we go to church, he vacuums the house, and he didn't even tell us he was doing that. I just looked at the rug and I thought, this rug ought to need being vacuumed. It's been a week and it doesn't need it. And I noticed that the vacuum cleaner was put away a different way with the cord neatly coiled and I just throw it all in there. That's awesome. And I know. And he said, oh, yeah, I've been doing that when you're not home. And Tim likes him to stay forever because he fills the bird feeders, as I have told you. And that's a big chore. And Tim always was doing it. And now Michael has taken it over. So... But, Michael, I don't expect anything. That is a, re- a tremendous relief to just let him be. And he's just being. He spends all day playing the guitar or earphones on and watching a little tiny computer television he has downstairs or whatever it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know what he's doing, but it's there's something quite wonderful about the whole thing and he's doing us he's teaching us something about letting things that's awesome yeah it reminds me of ben that guy who came on that teacher he just said just love him just love him boy was he on at the perfect time he was wasn't he yeah he's just the most amazing guy here in bristol he just touches a lot of people right Oh, and then I have one more question, and then I really will let you go. I've been looking at the Burpee magazine because Michael and I are going to do our garden, and with his help, I really think we can make a garden this year again. I gave it up last year. It was just too much. But I was looking at very few seeds are organic. Does it matter if you get organic seeds? What does it mean to have an organic seed? Or if you just have it in good soil, is that enough? Well, you know, somebody who's really the the perfectionist is going to want to acquire organic seeds, and yeah. you know, theoretically, there's a difference. But I think that if you, you know, if you're using a decent seed supplier, you're you're okay with whatever you do there. Keep okay. the soil decent. Where we've actually oh. been getting yeah. prices on uh, on having some soil delivered here to the, uh, or some compost and soil for this, for nice. doing a new uh, a, uh, um, native species garden for butterflies and moths and right. caterpillars and that sort of thing. So that's something we've yeah. been working on the last day or two. That's wonderful. Yeah, we do that too. We have a whole big place where it's just grown up and the, the critters go there. So that's good. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing that. So thank you for answering the questions. Thanks for all the advice. And I'll, I'll just listen from now. Well, we appreciate you. And I'm so glad that Luke is doing so well. That's pretty awesome that he's moving forward in his process and at 24 to, to be waking up. Yeah. I've, I've there are several people that I've worked with over the years who've, who've done the AA program, and two or three of them I've talked to in just the last few days. And uh, I'm talking about 
guys who are more like in their 70s who are just wow. so appreciative of the fact that there came a point where they dropped alcohol and woke up. So, and 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 they were not so lucky as to be doing it at 24. So, so that's uh, that's pretty I'll, awesome. I'll tell that to Have Luke. a support to wake up from that. I'll tell yeah, that to Luke. He'll cool. find that a comfort. Yeah. Thank you. All right, young lady. We appreciate you and happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks. All right. Well, Miss Jeannie. I'm going to check and see. I believe that he spoke with Dr. Tim, but uh, Michael, um, who was at Heartland, his hand's up, but I think it was yes. left over from Dr. Tim. Michael, did you have okay. another comment? Hey there, young man. Are you with us? Hello, Michael Teddy. Oh, maybe he's away from his phone right now and it is a leftover hand up okay. kind of deal. All righty. Nobody else has a hand up. Go for it. Cool. Well, I was going to uh, touch into, we, we had some conversation the other day about uh, the kinds of thought disorders that cause certain symptoms, tend to go along with certain symptoms, and how they impact the structure and and what kind of things most people have to look at. And as Susan reminded us, it's not Dr. Feelgood to go back and look at a thought disorder that causes pain, whether that pain's physiological or emotional, mental. Uh, it's, it's not Dr. Feelgood to go back and look at and deal with those things. And there is a chart, and maybe you could put a link to it in the uh, in the notes, uh, that's called the physiological effects of emotional suppression. I thought I'd just kind of take a, a quick run through that. This is something that we present in the uh, in the workshop, Naturopathic Keys to Health. And, you know, if you hold a newborn child and you tap into the essence of the newborn, it gets really clear really quickly that the child is, in fact, the actual presence of love and that when we live as we're designed to live, that's what the experience is going to be. And when one lives in that state, it's been entitled enthusiasm, in, in, in theos, theos being the creator, enthusiasm is the root of that. And the kind of thinking that goes along with living in, in enthusiasm is, you know, just I love life, I'm excited, connected. And offering is that it is our birthright to live in that space connected to the empowerment that comes from that presence of love, the genius, and the aliveness that comes from that space. So when an, a disintegrated form of energy, and that's the basic structure of thought disorders, you know, when you think of this body-mind unit as an integrated energy system, there are energies that build it up, there are energies that tear it down. So a disintegrative quality of energy is going to tend to create symptoms. And when that happens, when we dissociate from those energetic patterns, they tend to lock into different parts of the structure in a general way, not saying, you know, X, Y, Z, this is exact and specific, but in a general way, 
you can get a sense from symptoms, usually, what kind of thoughts are being held in the structure, what kind of thought disorders are going on. So if enthusiasm is shut down, and it's usually shut down. The, the first thought disorder that most, most people confront from their power person is, you know, as I've said this many times, is that idea that you're broken, there's something wrong with you, so that the internalized thought is, you know, what's wrong with me? It comes along with self-blame, usually accompanied by guilt and shame, and degrading thoughts about self. And you watch most people when they're in some sort of trauma. And if you get close to their thinking about themselves, that's what they'll touch into. And the master gland of the whole structure is called the pineal. It's the only light-sensitive gland. It's actually in the brain. And when one buys into that I'm broken, you know, what's wrong with me type of thought disorder, it tends to lock into and create an interference pattern, a, a disintegration in the pineal gland, and the pineal gland tends to calcify. So that's kind of a starting point for most people in terms of beginning to age, beginning to lose the full experience of the vitality that we're designed to live in. Now, if one is in enthusiasm and they lose that connectedness, it tends to be painful, it tends to hurt. So then the thoughts that go along, you know, it, I don't know if anybody else remembers as a kid being told things, but I can sure remember it, being told things like, if you don't stop that crying, I'll give you something to cry for. And it's like, excuse me, I'm crying. I, I have a reason to cry. But, of course, adults tend to, and I think because of their own dissociated pain, don't like to have their child feel the pain that they haven't dealt with. These pain patterns tend to be generational. So if the child goes into, expresses, experiences that pain, oftentimes the adult wants to shut it down, so becomes abusive in order to shut it down. And so... The, the thought disorder, the thought that goes on in the mind tends to be this hurts and I'm not even allowed to feel part of that experience when the adult, you know, does something like, you know, if you don't stop that crying, I'll give you something to cry for, is humiliation. And that tends to affect, and this is, this chart is something, I've expanded it somewhat, but it it's, uh, comes out of the naturopathic tradition of medicine for people to, you know, to begin to look at what's going on within their structures and what they're doing with their mind energy. And we go to the opening words in the book of John, and it doesn't say, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. It says, in the beginning was the mind energy, and the mind energy became flesh. When we buy into destructive or disintegrative mind energy, that mind energy literally, you know, what the cell biologists are showing us is an exact uh, verification of what those opening words in the book of John say. Because what happens is that thought becomes a neuropeptide. If you look at the work of Bruce Lipton, who's a cell biologist, he'll show that a thought becomes a neuropeptide, becomes an actual molecule within the structure. 
and that molecule circulates around in the structure until it finds a cell with the receptor site, lands on the receptor site, and if you're looking from inside the cell, that neuropeptide landing on the receptor site in the cell inserts itself, and what we would see coming into the cell would be what we call chemistry. And so the, the result is that it creates a, an interference pattern and in this case, the, the humiliation that this hurts, I'm not allowed to feel, tends to shut down and impact the pituitary gland. By this time, the average child is heading into what's called the terrible twos. And it's considered, I think, pretty much standard in rearing children and pretty much a, uh, a part of the process. I feel really blessed in that having this awareness We've been very careful with ARIA in terms of the kinds of mind energy that we give her, the kinds of thoughts that we engage in with her, whether we speak those thoughts or not, to keep them clean, to keep them updated, and to recognize. You know, for me, personally, I've really learned that my job as her grandfather, uh, and of course it was the same job I had as a father, and I wish I'd understood it back when my kids were small, you know, four decades ago, um, the way that I understand now, I certainly had some idea of it, but not on the level that I do now. But we've been really careful as to what kind of thinking she does, the thoughts come out of her mouth that are of destructive or disintegrative nature. We have a conversation about it. And we're careful to utilize words that reflect you know, the highest levels of mind energy that we can. And there were no terrible twos at all with that girl. I mean, she's four now. And aside from if she, you know, would actually fall and hurt herself, I would say that in four years, taking care of her, generally speaking, two to three days a week, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little bit less, that I've heard her cry maybe a total of two or three hours total over four years. And I think one of the reasons for that is that you know, being careful of the mind energy that we um, express when she's around us. When one isn't allowed to feel their pain, wasn't allowed to express their pain, isn't allowed to cry. Like, for instance, one day I remember uh, we were having breakfast downstairs and Ari was in kind of a, a little bit of a, a mood and was going to go on and on with the disturbing energy. And we were sitting having breakfast and I said, sweetie, you know, if you, if you need to cry, that's okay, but... Nini and I are having breakfast, and we'd like to have a quiet space. So here, why don't you go on upstairs, and, you know, you've got your play area, and just go ahead, and you can hang out and do whatever you want to do, and if you want to cry, that's okay. And she wasn't very cooperative about doing that, so I picked her up gently, gave her a hug, carried her upstairs, and said, you can just hang out up here for a while. She was probably, what's that, maybe a little better than a year ago, Jeannie? And uh, about, oh... 20, 25 minutes later, she came quietly down the stairs looking around the corner to see what was going on. It's like, hey, what's happening? So when I got my room cleaned up and she had 
decided instead of continuing to cry that she'd pick all the things up in her room and rearrange things and you know and the rest of the day was just awesome and so i think being careful of what we do if if kids are in pain and expressing those feelings um, being aware and conscious of holding that space but when one isn't allowed to feel what's real for them then there tends to be a, a movement toward antagonism and the kind of thinking that goes along with that, you know, uh, we've we've seen a small child that will lash out, and that's the thinking, the thought disorder that goes with it, is usually something like vengeance. I'm going to get you, and it's accompanied by by a threat. And if antagonism, you know, somebody screams and shuts the antagonism down, don't you dare do that rather than creating a space to process and, you know, discipline. If we look at the word discipline, it comes from the word disciple. It does not mean, as the culture teaches, properly beat up. The word discipline means properly taught. And so we'll have a conversation about those sorts of things using the kind of language and energy that tends to lift up rather than drag down. But if antagonism is meant with the unresolved antagonism of the adult, if the child goes in that antagonistic state, then it it tends to move to from just, you know, I'll get you to overt hostility and it becomes an outright I will hurt you and the child wants to strike out. And of course, how many times do we see adults verbally, physically doing exactly the same thing? Those energies not creating the space to process, and remember in this, in this work we define processing as the ability to hold love conscious, active, and present when something that's less than love comes up. If the environment that a child lives in contains this antagonism and overt hostility, then anger tends to be the next level that just kind of takes over. And the thoughts that go along with anger are oftentimes for the child I must hide my rage or they'll kill me. They'll destroy me. They'll hurt me. And when a pain is not resolvable for the child or the adult, then the tendency is to go into some sort of self-medication. And the medication here, literally, the drug is anger. So someone who's really in anger a lot is, is really no different than the person who picks up a fifth of scotch. It's a way to anesthetize against pain. And this tends to affect the thyroid. It's, uh, it's not so long ago, you know, half a century or so ago, maybe a little more, that if, let's say, the, for, for some sort of medical reason, the chest of a child was opened, and they discovered a normal thyroid gland that they would actually do a thymectomy and remove it because they thought it was enlarged and overgrown. Because in the medical world, you know, whenever they had to crack somebody's chest, the thyroid gland kind of looked about the size of a walnut. And it wasn't known that that was an abnormally small thyroid. It was thought that was normal because that's what everybody had. And that one intense period of anger can shrink the thyroid gland by 50%. 
in a 24-hour period. And so they would, you know, do lung surgery or something like that in a child, and they find this huge thymus gland and cut it out. And the anger has become so normal that it impacts the structure of the thyroid gland and causes it shrinkage. Of course, then the adult, you know, with the antagonism, the overt hostility, the anger, oftentimes the response from the adult is retribution. And with retribution and the thought disorders fed to the child, the child then goes into covert hostility. Instead of overt, I'm going to hurt you, it becomes covert, and the thought is more like, oops, I didn't mean to do that. You know, I didn't mean to knock over your favorite beautiful, expensive crystal vase, mom. And this is a stage where the child learns deceit. And, you know, if you download this chart, you can just print it off of the website. If you download it, you can see that on the right-hand side of the chart, mark that, that this is called the aging or the dis-ease process. And it's, it's a, a quality of energy that tends to be imposed on the child from without but also because these patterns of thought are so generational, it tends, I think, to also reflect what's going on within. And so these are all things that, you know, most everybody's going to have to deal with. So if, you're, if you were physically looking at the chart, and I'm holding it in my hand right now, uh, you would see on the right-hand side the arrow points downward toward disease, and this is where disease, death, and suffering come from. And if you look on the left-hand side of the chart, you'll see that the arrow heads upward, and that's where youthing and healing, when you take that load off of the tissue, then the interference pattern's gone, the tissue can begin to function properly again. And you know something, I just realized that I, I, I switched two parts of the chart when I talked about the anger. Anger tends to shut down the thyroid. It's the thymus gland. I, I did say thymectomy, but I was talking anger, and it's actually fear. You know, the, you know we, we've all heard of the, the person on the battlefield who was as dead as everybody else that was shot, but there was no injury physically that could be seen. And my offering is that the intense fear uh, and the intense fear, the kind of thought that tends to go along with that is, you know, I'm terrified, I'm going to be hurt again, and that's what affects the thymus. So what I was saying about the uh, about anger, really, that applies to the thyroid. It's the, uh, the thymus that's impacted by fear and tends to tie into that state of terror. And, you know, this is where, and with each of these thought disorders, this is where forgiveness comes in, where when one applies the tool of forgiveness, that the constructs that make up these states of mind of upset and disturbance and anger and self-deprecation and such are usually energetic patterns that were established as early in life as with a power person. Very uh, young children tend to buy into these things. And what forgiveness does is it allows you one to collapse the constructs of the mind that leave these intense 
thought disorders and the intense emotions that go along with them that normally remain hidden with forgiveness allows those things to be uncovered and it allows those things uh, one to get in touch directly with the experiences behind that you know when you you hear Yeshua talking about you know take care of the heart for out of it are the issues in life you know if you've got an intensely painful perceptual construct or physical structure that is a reflection of something that's going on in the in the ancient Aramaic that word heart would be the unconscious take care of what's unconscious in you and of course the average person says well how do I get in touch with my unconscious dynamics that's exactly what forgiveness does forgiveness isn't about letting yourself or somebody else off the hook but forgiveness is the act of collapsing perception recognizing you know this genius mind 2,000 years ago that recognized that the driver for perception is our goals you'll notice you're never pointing any of these thought disorders at yourself or someone else unless I mean if, unless you're just a generally miserable person but other than that you're not pointing at anyone unless you you yourself or someone else is frustrating a goal that you hold for them and what Yeshua understood was you know and, and and we can find it as well in you know in writings throughout the world another good example of it Shakespeare he says my words fly up my thoughts remain below in other words I'm unconscious of the thinking that's creating this painful state in my structure and unless I be, allow myself to become aware of the thinking behind it the energetic patterns behind it there will tend to be a perpetual disease state that just goes deeper and deeper and deeper drops into deeper states of pain and trauma what forgiveness does is it collapses the end result of the action of the mind it collapses the perceptual construct hanged constructs of the mind and when those constructs collapse you drop right into the root energy under the surface and when you can and you'll notice in the worksheet the step before you do the canceling of the goal you move to a space the deepest connected space you can of active love and when active love is present in you and you allow yourself to access something under the surface then that which is under the surface will begin to heal I love the way the Course in Miracles says it. The Course says, you must bring the world you do not want, that is, all your thought disorders, to the world that you do, to the active presence of love. And there's only one place on the planet that I know of that you can find, well, actually two places, three now, that you can find the key to how to do that. The origin of it, in my awareness and all the study I've done in the last half century is you have to go back to the first century Aramaic language of Yeshua understand his language in its original context text to understand what forgiveness is and he shows with forgiveness how to return your mind to the point where the original energetic assault happened now that doesn't mean that you lie on the couch for 20 years and look for this deep dark dirty terrible thing that happened to you you walk through life committed to functioning as love staying in contact with love as deeply as you can and when your mind is producing something other than that you collapse its structure you collapse its construct and when you collapse its construct 
you drop into the underlying thought disorder and having access to that directly can be an intense and painful experience. But as you become more accustomed to staying connected to love as you do that, you tend to dissolve those energetic patterns. A good example to visualize what that looks like, it's not a very happy event, but it gives a visual. Everybody remembers what the 9-11 towers looked like going down. Here are these huge towers dropping at free fall speed into their own footprint. When you cancel a goal in any given circumstance, when you identify precisely the goal that you're holding for whoever the object of attention is at the moment, whether it's yourself or someone else, the world, the government, you know, whoever, whatever, the mind is saying, oh, that makes me angry, that makes me sad, that makes me afraid. If you look at the goal you're holding and you cancel, in the Aramaic, the word forgive is shabag, it means to cancel. If you cancel that goal, then that construct, literally, just like the 9-11 towers, drops into its own footprint. And you now have access to the unconscious, the heart. That's how you take care of the heart. Because it's out of that, those generationally accumulated energies, that the issues in your life show up. And so the thought disorder that the load off of the thymus when you forgive it, the fear-based energy, is I'm terrified that I'm going to be hurt again. If one doesn't have the wherewithal, the support, or the tools to do that, you know, and this is probably now about the age of three or four for the average child, if they're in a household where there's abuse, then the child goes into what's called propitiation. It's kind of a strange word. It's not one we use very often. But a gentleman named T.S. Eliot created a, a little ditty that, uh, that helps remember what propitiation means. He says, "'Tis the highest treason to do the right thing for the wrong reason." And the thought that goes along with propitiation is, I am being forced and I hate it. We watched an interesting film the other night on uh, Amazon called The Tree of Life. It's kind of an unusual film. It's really beautifully filmed, at least parts of it are. And there's there's not a big explanation. There's not a, a lot of dialogue. There's some very big-name stars in it. But the dialogue is almost nil throughout the whole film. But it shows a family system with a father who dearly cherishes his children, wants to be there for his children, but has so much unresolved trauma that he can't help himself. And, and, you know, there's scene after scene after scene of how his abuse subtly or grossly comes out toward his wife and his children. And it, it was a good demonstration of how a child moves into this state of propitiation. Churchianity does a lot of this. If, if churchianity doesn't know the reason why, if the theologian who's standing up in front of the, the, the congregation doesn't know the reason for behaving a certain way, 
and cannot properly discipline, cannot properly teach one why they would do that, then it becomes force. And, and how often have we heard heard of or heard the preacher who's doing hellfire and brimstone and threat and fear and literal terrorism to the people in his or her congregation, and they're forcing a state of propitiation. Somebody has an inclination with them, something that wants to explode with, and then they show in this particular film, they show the, uh, the child who you know, just does some crazy violence in how especially young boys get together and do this kind of violence. And you can see the direct relationship between there's no room for this child to open and express in a safe space where love is present. And it builds and it builds and it builds. And the one who tries to use force is ignorant of why one would act in a particular way and so tries to use force and creates this state of propitiation in anybody who does the right thing for the wrong reason. I'm doing this because I'm terrified. In fact, in the church, you know, there's, this, there's what's called the perfect and the imperfect act of contrition. The perfect act of contrition is, oh, I'm doing this because I love God. The imperfect act is, I'm terrified I'm going to go to hell, so I'm going to do the right thing. But in doing the right thing, well, the underlying energy that's moving and motivating is disintegrative. Doing the right thing leads to self-destruction. Because it's the underlying energy. Again, Yeshua is really clear. Take care of the heart. You've got to look at your own unconscious dynamics. And if your unconscious dynamics are of a disintegrative nature, then doing the right thing is not worth the powder to blow it to hell. And if you engage in forgiveness, you collapse the the constructs based in fear. You break through them with the active presence of love, and the whole game starts to change. So the thought disorder that tends to go along if one's moving down the ladder is I'm being forced and I hate it. And then one tends to move toward the next level, you know, the next step down the ladder to disease, suffering, aging, and death. And one moves into sympathy. And the destructive aspect of sympathy is kind of like, you know, I have pain just like yours. Let's intensify our pain by suffering together. And negative identification with others is what sympathy becomes. Empathy is a whole different thing. You know, one goes to a funeral, and if they have unresolved pain over death, and there's someone who's, you know, a family member who's just had a family member pass, and they win now, everybody suffers together, and they intensify the deepened state of disease rather than showing up, having resolved fear, anger, sadness, grief, guilt, loss around death, one steps into a space of active, present love, being there to support someone who's suffering a loss. Which do you suppose is more beneficial to the individual who's directly suffered that loss? And so sympathy tends to be the the negative identification that that happens as one moves downward. So, you know, so we've gone from, you know, I'm, I'm excited about life, I love life, to what's wrong with me, degrading thoughts of self, 
I'm not allowed to feel this hurts, humiliation, to vengeance, and you know, most people contract their lives. Vengeance, I'll get you. Then covert or overt hostility, I'll, I'll hurt you. Anger, I've got to hide my rage or they'll kill me. And I want to strike out. And covert hostility, oops, I didn't mean to do that. Fear, I'm terrified I'm going to be hurt again. Propitiation, I'm being forced and I hate it. Sympathy, I have pain just like yours, so let's intensify our pain. And then the next, if, if that energy isn't processed, then the load becomes just overwhelming and people move into grief. And grief is expressed in thoughts as I'm sad, I'm overburdened, I'm hurt. And you know, this is done by my own unconscious imposition of this dissociated pain, and that tends to affect the pancreas and the adrenals. People with, and, and blood sugar, I just saw an article this morning in the explosion, and it doesn't surprise me at all with, uh, with what's gone on with COVID. They're talking about an explosion of diabetes in the culture. Well, yeah, with the number of deaths and the fear and the grief, the sadness, the loss, Diabetes is going to be a natural physiological result because that's going to tend to lay an energetic pattern of dysfunction over the pancreas and the adrenals, and sugar metabolism is going to become the problem. I've watched and this one in particular of all of the chart that we're talking about. Over the years, I've watched, had the opportunity several times to watch people who are, you know, taking medication for diabetes or have, you know, pretty overt symptoms. You know, one of them, you know, if, if people don't eat, they are just as nasty and miserable as you can imagine. I remember we had a woman at Heartland once and I mean, every, she was on the support team for a year, and everybody on the support team was like, oh, get some food and stuff it in her mouth or we're in trouble. And I remember the day that in a still point session, she got in touch with what was at the root of that trauma. And that was that she had been very happily married, and her husband was in an accident, went to the hospital and got a transfusion with AIDS-tainted blood and died. And literally, the day that that memory surfaced and she was able to connect with it and process it and had the support for doing it, that was the last time we saw her miserable or she didn't eat, like, you know, several times a day. She was able to fast with the rest of the group and it was no problem at all taking the load off of the tissue. And this is how it, again, this isn't a, is not an exact science I'm speaking of. I'm just talking in generalities. This is what tends to load this issue up and create dysfunction. And so if, if one's in that place of, I don't know how to process this sadness, I'm overburdened, I'm hurt, the tendency is to move into thought disorders that, you know, there's nothing I can do. Apathy. There's nothing I can do. Why are they doing this to me again? I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. I'm a victim. I'm alone. That tends to step into the arena of apathy. 
And that tends to affect the spleen, which tends to interfere with red blood cell production. And, and each of these thought disorders are energetic patterns that simply don't belong in the human system. And as you begin, if you, if you recognize any of this, as you begin to forgive those energetic dynamics, you literally lift the load off of the tissue and the tissue simply starts to function again. The final stage, you know, right down to death, is just moves into unconsciousness. And, and along with the unconsciousness, the kind of thoughts that go with that are, I don't know, I have no idea, I'm in a, and I don't understand. And this is the, an energetic pattern that tends to load down the reproductive organs and inhibit reproduction. If one moves to that place, it's probably not going to be long before their body just stops functioning. Now, any time, anywhere that one sees themselves in this chart, if they'll engage in the tools, then they'll tend to start to move up the chart, which means they're going to get to face, you know, sometimes these extremely painful childhood memories and or extremely painful generational memories as they allow these things to surface and they work through them. And and literally, you know, it, it's like peeling a, a load off of the internal tissue structure. And so instead of aging, and, you know, we've, we've talked before about the, the idea that aging has, what we call aging has nothing to do with time. If one is engaging in these thought disorders on a regular basis, they're aging. They're, they're literally looking like and feeling like they're getting old. If they face these thought disorders, if they begin to be, allow themselves to become conscious, take care of the heart, take care of the unconscious, and remove those things, forgive those things, then the tendency is for tissue to become more vital, more alive, more functional, and stronger, healthier, and youth instead of age. And, and in this chart is the whole objective of this work, to recognize if we have been moving down the ladder, how to reverse the process and move back up again into full enthusiasm, in theos. I love life. I'm excited. And I live in my birthright, full of love, full of power, full of genius and aliveness. That's a summation of this whole body of work. And we're down to the last few seconds. So I'm just going to say thank you for being with us. I hope your new year is the best one yet of your eternal life and that your healing process goes on and know that we're here five days a week to support you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet, as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mindshifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www. Dot w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot org.